0: I'm John Bailey, and even though we're a bit late, I'm here to bring you reviews for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, the Cats adaptation nobody really asked for or wanted, uh, the latest Jay Roach biopic about uh, Gretchen Carlson and making Kelly's lawsuit against Roger Ailes, Bombshell, and the latest from Korean director Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. Let's get started. I'm going to try and split this into both a spoiler free review and a spoiler filled review. So, I mean, this is going to be one of those cases where part of my reasoning for the rate for, for my views on the, on the movie are spoilers are due to the spoilers. Um, but as far as, um, the, uh, actual movie itself without spoilers, uh, least favorite of the new trilogy by far, uh, I I can't compare it to the prequels because I haven't rewatched the prequels in a while, but it it definitely is not the, you know, it's definitely the worst of the new trilogy and it's definitely worse than anything from the original trilogy for sure. And I just get the feeling that this is too much of a course correction. They heard a lot of the criticism people had about The Last Jedi, whether it was warranted or not. And they course corrected too hard back to J.J. Um, Abrams, who was notoriously bad at ending projects as seen by things like Lost. You know, when he starts something, he's not, you know, he's great at starting a thing, but when he's trying to continue the story, he's definitely not very good at it. The best Star Trek uh, Kelvin movie was made without him directing, you know? So yeah, when he, he's, he's good at starting a new universe, but he's not very great at continuing or ending a trilogy, uh, let's say. But, um, yeah, I think overall the story is the weakest out of them all. Uh, I think that the effects are fine. You know, production wise, it is a competently made Star Wars movie, but, I just did not like it as much. I just felt like even The Force Awakens did a much better job with these characters than what we got here. And I feel like it's just a complete letdown. It's a by-the-numbers sort of ending. It's basically like J.J. Abrams traced over uh, Return of the Jedi the same way he traced over A New Hope last time. And it's just, it, it feels like it's just pandering to the Star Wars fans who even now, after after so much... Uh, vitriol that some of them threw at Last Jedi, they aren't buying into this new one. And I think Disney's finally coming to terms with the fact that there's no pleasing these bitter old hacks who just hate Star Wars because it's not what they grew up with. And they grew out of this franchise now and it's not for them anymore. So I think we need to double back and just... Let just let new people tell their own Star Wars stories and forget about the. And there's just always accept the fact there's always going to be this vitriolic part of the fan base that they just have to, you know, either excise it some way by turning them away or just, for you know, ignore. You know, it's just the nagging, you know, asshole in the background is just always going to hate what you do no matter what. Then you're just going to have to accept that. But uh, Rise of Skywalker is just ultimately a. Too, it's too much of a safe bet by the filmmakers to be any, you know, like that's the thing I liked about last Jedi is it took risks. It didn't, you know, it didn't work for everybody. I can accept that, but it took risks way more so than, uh force awakens did which i mean force awakens is just like a return to form like hey we're back to regular star wars but since we got last jedi and we sh- and we got whole new aspect of the universe that we could see and new possibilities the fact that we're just going back to the square one again is just like uh, it feels like a defeat it feels like they gave up and didn't want to try new things anymore like oh no this is too spicy we got to go back to our bland safe uh Boring stuff again, and it's just like, why? why, why, why? Where's the fun in that? You know, this is you know, you don't want this whole thing to stagnate, and I'm hoping that they um, allow for more creative freedom, like with uh, Johnson, and allow these allow new uh, filmmakers to just tr- tell their own stories. And be unique and interesting. And you know, my nephew and I, when we were walking out of Rise of Skywalker, he was like, "What if we got a band of brothers from with uh, Clone Troopers towards the end of Order uh, the Clone Wars and following the events of Order sixty six, and they go rogue? Like, wouldn't that be an interesting series of movies?" And I'm sure there's stuff in the uh, expanded universe. Once again, um, Kathleen Kennedy complained that, "Oh, we don't have any new ideas," and I'm like, everyone is j- just pointing over to the expanded universe that she uh, and Disney let go, and like. Just, you don't even have to adapt them whole cloth. Just, like, pick bits and, bi- bits and pieces of the stories from the expanded universe and tell those. Oh, my goodness. There's a whole wealth of stories you could, uh, p- you know, pick and choose from there. It's a whole buffet. So, don't complain to us that you have no stories when they're... It's all right there. But, yeah, I think that does it for the spoiler-free portion. Uh, if you want to skip ahead to um, Cats, go ahead. Uh... But from this point on, we have spoiler alert for Rise of Skywalker. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. See, while the story itself ain't, you know, spoiler free, uh, I just sound disappointed. It's when I get into spoiler territory that I get genuinely upset. Because... One of the best aspects of The Last Jedi to me was the acknowledgement that Rey was a nobody. She, uh, she may have been Force adept. She may have you know be, pow- may be powerful with the Force, but none of that comes from her lineage. Is the idea of the, the structure. It's, the, it's iconoclasm in Star Wars. It's saying, kill your heroes, become your own hero. And so Abrams decides, nah, screw that. We're going to make her Palpatine. She is now Rey Palpatine. Because apparently at some point, without any prior knowledge, without any real setup for this, Palpatine had kids. And he had a granddaughter who is now Rey. It's all the big setup to who was Rey's parentage was. It's all about her becoming a Palpatine. And like, like, that's the whole thing is like, it didn't need to be a Palpatine to tell this story. Like if the idea was, it turned out she was the daughter of a Sith Lord... Make it so that it was a Sith Lord, because like, that's the whole thing. You could just make up a Sith Lord, you know, it, or just she had, or just maybe you know the Sith. She was found in a system populated by Sith or something like that. You know, her parents. Um, you know, we're Jedi and, you know, were, we're force adept, but they were surrounded by, you know, they, they had ties to the Sith Empire at some point you know, in their family line or something. Once again, it didn't have to be Palpatine bringing back palpatine is throwing up your hands and saying nope we got nothing better we have no idea what else to do so palpatine was the puppet master palpatine's behind snoke palpatine is the one who turned ben solo it's all been palpatine palpatine despite the fact that he died it would be one thing if they were fighting a ghost if they had to fight Force ghost palpatine and they couldn't get rid of him that way that would be something. But no, Palpatine's got a clone body or something, because I know they did that in the comics after Return of the Jedi, they brought back Palpatine. The, the, the laziest thing you can do in Star Wars is bring back Palpatine. It is the laziest, it's basically you throwing up your hands and saying, we have no idea what else to do. Palpatine's back now. And bringing back Palpatine is the is the dumbest idea and it was a terrible way to end this trilogy. It just basically said, eh, you know what? We don't have to, you know, we don't even need to know. Snoke can be explained in like expanded universe comics. The only reason Boba Fett got as popular as he did was because of the expanded universe. Like we didn't need Snoke to be explained in canon, in the movies where he came from. It could have just as easily been Snoke was just a sith lord that that came up in the interim uh between return of the jedi and force awakens like it didn't we didn't need snoke to be explained as some sort of manufactured lo- over you know dark lord by Palpatine as one of his pawns in his game of 3D chess, his 6D chess of explaining the, all the machinations of the trilogy. And it's just like, oh, you lazy sons of bitches, you just literally gave up and said, we have no I, we have no better ideas. <sighs> uh, not to mention the fact that they just th- completely throw Rose Tico under the bus because she was the least favorite new edition, so she's barely in this movie. Um, I will say what they do with Carrie Fisher is fine. Like that's about as, as much as I expected them to do with Carrie Fisher. And, um, it's not bad, but it's not like great either. It's just, it is what it is. You're just working with, um, what, what, you know, what you're, what you the hand you're dealt with personally though. Uh, I feel like, I feel like the whole, I feel like the whole idea of like Ray, giving in more to her dark side urges didn't need Palpatine like here's what I think would work better instead of because like the whole thing works towards Ben Solo's redemption and Ben Solo's redemption is basically on a dime essentially in the movie Ben Solo's redemption arc essentially comes down to mommy mommy noticed mommy mommy remembers me and then he's good again like That's whole, his whole thing is that Leia gets in contact with him and he becomes good again. Like, wouldn't it have made more sense if Ben Solo didn't get redeemed? Like, he, like, she keeps saying, oh, there's some good in you, there's some good in you, there's some good in you. There was never good in me. Make it so that it's her envisioning good in him where there is none make it sort of like one of those toxic relationship sort of dynamics where it's like oh there's so there's still good in him i can feel it and but no she can't feel it it's her placing good in him where there is none and so he doesn't get redeemed by the end he maintains his will he maintains his role as a dark lord and essentially attempt to trick her into becoming his apprentice and it's her overcoming that and and putting him and striking him down and it's only in uh his final moments where uh he begins to kind of re realign himself with the force and he kind of meet like wouldn't it be something if like force um like like as he's about to die force anakin confronts him and it's like cause that's the whole thing is like, there's, there's so much fan service fodder thrown in this movie. It's like, Oh, here's all these people that you know, like every single jet actor who's played a Jedi in this movie shows up at a cameo. And I feel like you focus so much on solo's admiration for Vader that having him finally having to confront Vader um, would be like his final moment of like, this is when he gives in um, and realizes that like, like maybe you know he's not redeemed until the point where he has to confront his past and it's like it takes conf- being confronted by the one he's idolized for so long and being told that no this is you know that this the, this what this is not the way this is not the way this is not the way <laughs> um, I don't know it's just not to mention the fact that Ray is given like apparently they do have force healing power in this now so basically everything that Anakin could have done in uh episode three was possible but once again everything they throw in this movie just retcons everything it just throws everything up into upheaval and it's just like god damn it now where the hell are we so yeah rise of skywalker is a just complete hot mess and completely ends the entire saga up to this point on a bad note this is this the worst way to end the tri- the re- end not only this new trilogy but the entire Skywalker uh, storyline. It's just a terrible note to end on, and I honestly can't see myself ever revisiting this one. You know, in Return of the Jedi you can revisit. You know, it's got moments of goodness, and it Revenge of the Sith maybe. It, it it tends to be the best of the prequels, but this end, the end of this trilogy. Skip it. I honestly can't imagine going back and revisiting this compared to even. The other uh, bad, worse Sky, compared to even the worst other Star Wars movies. You'll understand what happiness is. Look, a new day has begun. Are you going to try for a different life? A new I will say this. Here's a hot take for you. I I would rather rewatch Cats than Rise of Skywalker. There's the hottest of hot takes. Mm-mm. Hot, there's a hot, there's a hot pocket of a hot take. Hot on the outside, absolutely frozen in the middle. <sighs> okay, so, yeah, Cats the movie was going to be a hot mess regardless, just because of the way they went about it. And my, I went to, see my, went to see it with my mom because she is, adores, she adores the stage musical. And she was interested in seeing this adaptation. And she, it, she believes that this was the best way to go about making this adaptation, by making it a, um, a, a live action, you know, people in costumes, because she know, she's seen the stage show, she knows it's very dance oriented, that by having, a peop, having a people dressed up as cats, you capture what it is to see the stage musical live, which is the dance. The problem is they got a director who is terrible at shooting musicals. Because even though Les Mis was not a dance-centric musical, Tom Hooper sucks at sh- It's going to be really interesting to revisit Les Mis when I put it at so high on my 2012 um, uh, best of the year list back in the day. Uh, it was going to be so much fun revisiting Les Mis in retrospect because, oof, yeah, it's going to be weird thinking that that was the be- one of the best of the year behind things like The Avengers. <laughs> Oy vey. Um yeah it's it really is um it's 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 mind-boggling trying to watch this movie because it's totally inconsistent mainly because you've thrown in two actors who are terrible at comedy they are so ham-fisted and over the top that they're they're almost painful to watch and that's um and that's um uh Rebel Wilson and uh, James Corden. I've never liked James Corden. I think they've liked him once in Into the Woods, and that's it. Every time I've seen James Corden try to do his shtick, I've hated him. I do not like James Corden at all. I have yet to enjoy him. I rewatched him in—I watched uh, Three Musketeers, and he's in that piece of crap uh and Rebel Wilson has always gotten again gotten on my nerves, and I just it's their shtick. their whole like hack it hey do they try way too hard to be funny, and they don't really have a good shtick going for them. It's just hack da 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 it's like old vaudeville kind of hackiness, and i do I don't like it, and they are terrible in this movie um but, and but I will say Idris Elba as McCavity. As, like, the villain cat, he is, you know, plays into that, even though his voice isn't quite there for it. Um, But overall, I think the biggest problem is the cats are not cat enough. They're too human. The cats are too... They look like they went halfway into the Uncanny Valley and planted and just, you know, put up stakes and called it home. Because it's just so... Terrible to watch. The best one in terms of looking like a cat is Judy Dench. But even then, it, it they just all look like Anthrocon rejects. These are terrible, furry, fever dream nightmare monsters. And even the mice and the other animals that they throw in there, which all, it's all terrible perspective. It has no idea of the sense of scale in this movie. This movie has no idea of how scale works and size. And... So yeah, it's it's just all around just bananas to try and comprehend. But it's it just, it's not, it's too human. It's not, and that's the whole thing, is that if you look at the costuming for the stage show, number one, you're given enough distance between the stage and the audience that you don't, that you aren't directly looking at their faces. Number two, when you do see, like, close-up shots, they're made to look like cats. They look kind of like, like, um... Island of Dr Moreau sort of fusions of human and cat. These these are just human faces p- 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 CG planted on a furry cat body, like anthro cat body. It's so unsettling to watch. It is so terribly designed and it's just it's it's terrible. It is so terrible and yet there are gr- there are saving graces for this way more than I felt for Rise of Skywalker. And I think the biggest thing is that you do have a solid cast. Judy Dench, um, the main, the Frances, uh, France, uh, Francisca Hayward. Francesca Hayward, uh, whoever's playing the, the newcomer is playing the lead cat. Um, Jennifer Hudson is the standout performance in the whole damn thing because she gets to sing the best song in the whole movie, Memory. And when Jennifer Hudson sings it, given all of her character buildup and given her performance, It's the, it is the only thing that made me feel anything besides what the hell. Like, this is the, Jennifer Hudson, as uh, whatever her cat's name is, singing memory, is the only part that didn't make me actively say, WTF, what the hell's going on? And it's like, oh, oh, it's, oh, it's so pretty. Oh my God, I love it. Oh my God. And then the ending is just like, what the hell's going on? So like, there was one shining moment where it was actually really good. And everything else is just nonsense. And I think the problem is also, like with Les Mis, so much of the movie is just like medium shot, face shot. Medium shot, face shot, wide shot. Medium shot, face shot. So many close-ups of these cats' faces. And they look don't look the cat enough to overcome the uncanny valley. They're too human. Why are we looking at these cat faces when they're human faces? It is so disturbing. Stop it. Stop it. So yeah, um, it's not the worst thing of the year by far. <laughs> I've seen way worse this year, and yet it is. It is. It's almost. It just can't be enough to be worth watch. Worth like, a uh, watching the same way that the room is, or that uh, Showgirls is. But it's not campy enough to be as fun to watch as Showgirls and the Room. It is just bad enough to not be fun, but not bad enough to be that kind of fun. And shout out to Nash on Twitter who can't understand that this concept this this aspect of like so bad it's good style watching because he um mentioned a whole thread of like this is basically the movie equivalent of taking a, a carton of soured milk and saying, "Dude, this is awful. smelled it." smell this isn't it awful and it's like yeah I mean I, I can understand not wanting to be part of that experience but there's just something about I think the difference is that unlike something that is genuinely awful and sick like sour milk this is more like watching um watching a glorious failure It is just witnessing something that you're almost never likely to get the chance to see again. And it's not as painful to watch as, say, oh, I don't know, Unplanned, No Safe Spaces, that 9-11 movie with Charlie Sheen, where it's genuinely awful and repugnant. But it's the kind of bad that you just have to sit back and marvel and be like, this happened. This is a thing that... It's kind of like the Nutcracker 3D um, the one where Nathan Lane is Albert freaking Einstein, and it's it it really is kind of just mind-boggling. Oogie Loves is another one that I've been that I've been catching up on in my worst of the decade, and Oogie Loves is just one of those things where Oogie Loves is more mind-boggling to witness and watch unfold, whereas Cats is not that bad enough. Cats is halfway is like three quarters of the way between a good movie and a gloriously bad movie it is not in the hands of like a joel schumacher then it might be campy enough and trashy enough to be fun to watch but in terms of the uh, quadrant scale where you cover good bad versus fun and boring then this is kind of in the quadrant where it's not not fun enough yet but it's it's bad it's all the way down bad but it's not fun kind of bad but it's in that quadrant it's closer to the accent it's closer to the middle of that towards the cent towards the center of that quadrant than it is like the far edges of it where like uh the room and showgirls are so yeah cats isn't the worst thing i've ever seen (laughs) y'all haven't seen shit if you think this is the worst but it's it's also not a fun kind of bad yet it is partially there it just never made it over that hump so cats i mean sure go ahead personally i'm waiting for my rats the musical live action movie where is that we're rats we're rats we're furry and forlorn we live in sewers love and sewers, and our hearts are torn there's a callback for you <laughs> Sweetheart, this is an island of safety and truth. There's a man. Ready to go to war? Oh yeah. Let me just say that um, this new style of comedic uh, directors trying to be serious, trying to be semi-serious with biopics, I'm not a fan of it. Adam McKay, um, I confused Jay Roach with Adam McKay. Uh, in um, determining, you know, in reviewing this movie, both are, I mean, the, it, it is a similar sort of um, comparison. Adam McKay being the director of The Other Guys, Anchorman, Step Brothers, Talladega Knights. Then he went on to do The Big Short and follow that up with Vice, whereas Jay Roach, uh, best known for the Austin Powers trilogy, The Meet the Parents movies, um, uh, Dinner with Schmucks, and The Campaign. Uh, also apparently directed Mystery Alaska game change the HBO movie about Sarah Palin uh the Trumbo movie with um um oh God, what's his name uh Brian Cranston as well as lb the uh, HBO LbJ movie all the way where uh Brian Cranston is LBJ and Anthony Mackey is uh um Martin Luther King. So um I think Roach has had more has done more serious movies but they're both not very like i enjoyed trumbo for the most part i haven't seen any of his hbo stuff game change all the way i think i saw recount a way back when but i don't i just i think their take on the biopic sort of seriousness is just very i don't know there's a it's like a it's not it's very queasy like it's not very fun to watch it's not very dramatic either it's never quite it's totally inconsistent uh specifically um i don't know if he's like this in his other movies um but in bombshell specifically it's much more like adam mckay which is where i got the confusion from uh because adam mckay specifically i haven't seen the big short but adam mckay's uh um vice is what sprung to mind immediately in that uh in that it's just a totally inconsistent attempt at like humorizing these overall terrible people. And what's, and I will say, um, trying to, you know, making a more humanized version of Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson, uh, is easier than doing it with, uh, war criminal, uh, Dick Cheney. But, uh, I will say that, like, once again, the main and again the main story here isn't specifically Megyn Kelly or Gretchen Carlson, even though they're the main the main characters in this story. It's much more about the toxicity of Fox News under Roger Ailes. I don't know if it got any better afterwards, but the idea of this cult of personality that Ailes developed around him, and the, the fact that you could not speak out against him, despite the fact that he and so many others under him were were just horrible, just Abu, you know, abusers, and it took Gretchen Carlson and Megyn Kelly uh, to kind of lead, mainly Gretchen Carlson, who took the first step towards bringing him de- to towards you know bringing him down, and then you know so many others, and then eventually Megyn Kelly kind of headed up the charge uh, during the investigation. But I, yeah, once again, I think it's just it, I'm dealing with people. We're dealing with people who. um Are kind of way uh, way off. Uh, I mean, Megyn Kelly is much. uh, She's a um, lawyer first and foremost, and then Gretchen Carlson is. um, You know, I I think she's a lawyer. I think a bunch of them were lawyers, but I think we're so used to them being uh, stereotyped as these sort of Stepford wife style like blonde blue-eyed, like, yay, go America! <laughs> and I think the fact that they, you know, the fact that so many of the Fox team, Fox News style is that sort of, you know, hot-looking, like, beauty pageant, and so many of their former anchors come from beauty uh, pageants, um, that, that that you get that stereotype that they're not... that. that you forget a lot of them are like lawyers and um, you know, very well, uh, you know, some of them graduated to cum laude and you're dealing with very smart people, but the fact that they're being used to spout absolute nonsense is also not helping either. So, I mean, we're dealing with people that have get built up a level of like animosity, especially if you're not within that conservative camp, if you're not with like, it's one, I mean, but it's also one thing to kind of remember the fact that Megyn Kelly was being targeted by, for not kowtowing to Trump by the cult of Trump. So even though she was a conservative woman, because she did not never kowtowed to Trump, she was seen as an enemy. So it's like, this this is where we're at where just a very you know a conservative woman is seen as the enemy by not just licking boot and it's like and people will like get up in her face and and you know you know like there's a scene of like at 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 the, I don't know how real it is I don't know if this actually happened but there's a scene in the movie where uh she's uh taking a week off um and it was this was follow this was like right after um well, the initial de- uh, presidential debates where, um, you know, she, you know, she was not, she never, she didn't hold back against Trump and at, she decided to take a week off, uh, to kind of deal with the fact that she became the, the, the headlines for not for, because Trump tweeted about it. And then just as she was about to leave for her vacation, she, he makes the comment about bleeding out of her wherever and, uh while she's on vacation, this dude at their country club, just like Trump 2016. It's like, okay, like chill out, dude. And she and so you have these conservative women dealing with this cult of Trump. And I'm sure a lot of them still have to deal with this cult of Trump that is out there. And it's not just like, I support this candidate more than anything. It's I support this candidate. And if you don't, you're the enemy. It, it is a very cult mentality and it's very tribalistic and that's all more interesting than the movie I'm talking about because the movie itself is just kind of bleh. it just kind of blase it just even though the the subject matter is way more interesting than how it's presented and how it's presented is very inconsistent some of it is treated as like um. So, you know, the seriousness that it's, it deserves because we're dealing with a guy who sexually harassed so many women under his, uh, you know, under the guise of him being in power and these women finally speaking out against it. And yet it's it's just this tonally inconsistent because then it's like, ha ha, Kate McKinnon making jokes, waka 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 waka. And it, it never quite, and once again, we've got comedians trying to be serious But really, the problem is that Jay Roach can't take it seriously enough. And I think him and Adam McKay have the same problem where you're covering topics that are very serious, but you want to be jokey, jokey. Ha ha. We have fun here, too, sort of. And it's like that's. Not really how you, I mean, I don't know if you want a full on Sophie's choice level, like super serious take on this story, but at the same point, like, there's a balance to having some levity to the situation and just ha- be having no idea and just having like going back and forth all over the place with the, with the, with the, with your theming and with your, what you're trying to say. So, um, yeah, it's it's ultimately just a kind of haphazard retelling of what happened. And I once it's one of those cases where the problem with a biopic is uh, you have to sell people on seeing it recreated versus having people retell it. And when you're watching like a documentary, that that's the biggest comparison. A biopic is watching it recreated. A documentary is watching it retold. And if what if your recreating recreation of the events does not sell better than just having the people retell what happened, then why have the biopic when you could you it would be better to just watch the documentary? You have to make that biopic more compelling than just having those people tell you what happened and have a good documentarian show you like archival footage and move you in that sense. You have to be more compelling than the real thing. So that's the problem that most biopics run into is that Richard Jewell and, you know, so many of the other biopics, um, like Ford versus Ferrari is one of those few cases where you watching it recreated is better than just hearing a documentary about it because the the filmmaker knows what they're doing. But Richard Jewell, this, so many of the other biopics about the, you know, that, that come out, more often than not, they just kind of fall into the lap of we are being serious, but we don't have the heart to really push past the, like, they just kind of rely on the story moving you. And if that's the case, I would sooner just, you know, have it told to me by the actual person, but... That's just me. I will say uh, I will give the movie credit that it opens with, you know, the disclaimer that this is, you know, based on true events, but things were changed for legal purposes and for dramatic purposes. So at least it's not up its own ass claiming it to be the true story of what happened, like some biopics do. So at least it knows, um, you know, where it stands. And last but most certainly not least The best thing I saw all week Was Parasite by Bong Joon-ho uh, This is the director um, For those of you unaware uh, Okja, one of my favorite movies From the last uh, uh, From 2017 um, As well as The Host That's where I know him from But he's he's a very prominent uh, South Korean director He also directed Snowpiercer For those who've seen that uh, so he's gotten some crossovers um, m- films in the, under his belt, but he's basically he's more he's more or less a South Korean director with some Hollywood experience. Um, I don't. I'm trying to remember what else you might know him from, but uh, but basically, yeah, Bong Joon Ho's newest uh, movie is *Parasite*, which is a family drama about um, these people who are uh oh that's why it keeps throwing me off uh it's about a family drama um about, uh where they are stuck in poverty and then they have the opportunity to elevate themselves uh given uh, when, when um I, when, when the son's friend offers him the chance to teach English to a rich girl. And while he's there, the family is dealing with needing a new, needing a new art, needing an art teacher for the rich, for the rich son there. And then they come up with this idea to have the entire family kind of leeching off of this rich family by being their employees. And um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very well-made movie. It's definitely the best thing I saw all week. I think my problem with it, though, it's getting gloriously overwhelming praise by most people. And I'm not saying it doesn't deserve that, but I'm at the point where I, most of my favorite... Like, if you've listened to me long enough, most of my favorite movies and most of the things that I consider, like, the best are things that go over and beyond, like, simple family dramas. Like, this was never going to be my favorite of his movies. I still prefer Okja, the Host, Snowpiercer, those are trying to be bigger things. This is what I go for cinema. I go to cinema, not just to witness stories that I could just see here by talking to people on the street, you know? Um, not to say that this is something, because, I mean, the big twist, I won't give give away the twist because I went into this blind and so should you. Let's just say the big twist is just like, you never see it coming and it is bananas to watch it unfold after that twist. But, it is a very compelling uh, drama and eventually thriller, but because you I mean you've got the thrill uh, thrill of um, the, how this family is going to keep from keep this rich family from figuring out what the game is because they're, they they they've they fudge their credentials to qualify for these jobs and it's like you know it's it what what's gonna happen if anything starts to unravel, but. Suffice to say that uh, *Parasite* is, a, you know, with the story of class struggle more than anything else, and so you've got this poverty-stricken family wanting to find, wanting to finally get a taste of that good life, and what happens when, um, and you know, and what cost, and then you know, kind of telling the story, kind of the theming being, what, at what cost is having that good life going to, you know, going to be too much? So it's, um, it's a really. Uh, solid movie my thing is i think it could be better it would have been better maybe if like 10 minutes shorter there's a there's a constant theme thing i'm finding in a lot of movies is that you if you're not just if your ju- uh a runtime isn't justified i'm gonna dock your points like if you couldn't tell like con- con- concise storytelling is much more important to me than dragging things out for artistic purposes like one of my things with um ford versus ferrari is it's a great movie It did not need to be two and a half hours long. You could have easily cut that down to about two hours. No problem. So the idea that you're, you know, you're not that movies should be shorter, but the idea that like concise storytelling, you know, brevity is the soul of wit as it were. And if if you don't have anything to really say to me beyond a certain point, then why are we still talking? You know, yeah, you know, I mean, it's maybe, maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm trying to catch up on so many things and, I, and there's just so much out there that like, if you're not kind of keep, you know, if you're not hitting me with this stuff, like it's, it would be one thing if I really felt the story was worth that length, but I I, feel, I definitely felt at points while watching it that like, this is dragging its feet a bit. We could kind of speed this up a bit. Um, but it's also my taste. I've never been into that indie style, um. And I think I mentioned this recently with something, I forget what, but just like that indie style of filmmaking where it's very quiet, very downplayed, very close to the chest. I- I'm not into that. And I don't need full on melodrama, but like, mo- give me more. Like why, uh, I kind of want you to justify why I'm sitting here listening to you tell me this story rather than just you, you know, rambling on for a bit i don't know that's just me that's how i that's how i approach film as a storytelling medium you need i need to know what the end game of your story is and after a certain point you're not you're kind of dragging your feet a bit then you know i'm not gonna hit it you know that's just me but yeah parasite is still a very good movie and i highly recommend it um it's not i may not be even playing near you but if you get the chance to see it it's Bong Jun Ho. You can't go wrong. I have yet to see a bad movie from this guy. Snowpiercer is a bit of a mess, but I have yet to see a bad movie from Bong Jun-ho. I've also only seen like a a third of his output, but from what I've seen, he is just an excellent filmmaker, so you can't go wrong with him. Um that about does it for this week. Uh I will say, um, yeah, it's it's definitely been quite a quite a journey this year. Um and yeah, this should have been out earlier, but I've been dealing with um trouble sleeping and a lot I my depression uh meds have been kind of throwing me off. So, uh it's it's been quite a last couple of weeks. And um I'm hoping to kind of catch up on the end of the year lists and get those ready for it's going to take a lot of cramming cuz I because of the depression I haven't been watching as much and it's going to take a big cram session, uh, leading into the new year, but I think I can manage it. Um, I'm not going to do a full, uh, trailer talk this, uh, this, uh, for this episode, but once again, if you want to hear trailer talks for the upcoming movies, then leave me comments, uh, on the website or on the Facebook page or send me emails, tweet at me, let me know that this is what you want from me. I want to know what you the listeners want out of this podcast because I would much rather, you know, if I don't want, I don't want to put in stuff that you don't listen to it for, you know? But uh coming up next week, we do have um Little Women, uh the Greta Gerwig adaptation, which I uh was surprised to see getting a Christmas Day release over here because I was expecting it to go uh into January because that's usually what these kind of movies do and um spies in disguise the la- the last thing from blue sky before the disney buyout and um uncut gems is getting a, a theatrical release near me so i'm finally going get- to get a chance to see what is what people have been saying is the le- best adam sandler movie in in decades so yeah uh it's going to be an interesting uh christmas but uh that'll be an- that'll be for next week's episode uh, as for now, that does it for this week's show, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting us on your uh, browser page and whitelisting us on your ad blocker. And while you're here, you can check out all the other fine uh, shows on Gumby Cat Networks. Uh, we've got Living in the Stacks, the latest episode of that is out. Uh, ending our um, dystopian cycle uh, We've got Beyond the Cabin in the Woods Once More with Feeling The Family Business Snarkcast And if you yourself are a podcaster And would like to help our little uh, Podcasting family grow You can do so by sending us um, An inquiry at at GumbyCatNetworks.gmail.com And uh, we'll give your stuff a look-see And see if you're a good fit uh, You can also check out uh, You can also find us on your various Podcast providers Apple Podcasts i um Google Play Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and wherever you're listening to this show, be sure to leave a five-star rating review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. And then you can follow us on social media. Popcorn Junkie uh, is on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, uh, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast, find me on Letterboxd at cornjunkiepod, uh, Stardust. I'm trying to get back into. That's popcorn junkie. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can do so at Patreon.com/popcornjunkie. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff still on the Patreon, and it's not going to be a tiered thing. It's pay what you can, and you'll get bonuses and suggestions and whatnot. So if you want to check that out, that's patreon.com popcornjunkie. And if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you, you want to give, your thoughts on the stuff I reviewed, then you can send that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to read it out on the, on the mic, you, you, you just have to say it in either the message or the subject line. Otherwise, I'll simply paraphrase. Uh, but that does it for this week's episode. So until next time, I'm John Bailey wishing all of you out there happy holidays, whatever you happen to celebrate. Thing song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by the M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio, N A F Y O. Look up natheo.devendart.com for more of his artwork.